You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Welcome back to Max's Island. Today we've got returning guest, Claire Goodrich. Claire's been on Max's Island a couple of times before. So welcome back to the island, Claire. Thank you, Tony. It's very good to be here. Now, Claire, you know the premise of Max's Island. It's that time in your life or that incident where things have changed or where something peculiar happened in your life that sent sent you off on a bit of a tangent or created an experience that has evolved into a story. Have you got a recent experience that may interest the listeners of Max's Island? Well, I think um, a story I could share today is the story of re-entering the world after the pandemic. So spending um, two years, I think it was in the end, uh, in Perth with the borders closed and then working an international career from my from my bedroom in North Fremantle with my pug sitting behind me, working through the nights, working different time zones to then eventually being able to get on a plane, first uh, over east to Cairns and then out of the country across to LA. And uh, the adventures that have ensued have been quite, quite interesting. So we can go down that rabbit hole if you like. We've talked about the pandemic a lot on Max's Island. And I think most listeners have experienced a new world since everything has become more relaxed. You know, we know that there's the hybrid working is now a big thing. A lot of the changes to our work habits um, occurred during COVID and now they're being modified and and moulded back to not only suit the individual, but also suit the organisations. You and I have spoken at length about the mental health challenges to workforce and the ability for individuals and also teams to to cope with the change and now evolve into into a new format of working that may be quite different with quite different expectations so for you as a I guess as a sole trader though working applying your trade around the world but being based in you know the most isolated city in the world in Perth Mm. when the borders came down to have that opportunity to I guess embrace the mainstream again, that must Mm. have been a relief, a great opportunity, 
but also perhaps some trepidation to step out of that comfort zone. Yeah, it's interesting reflecting on it as you speak. I That experience, that two years of being in Perth during the pandemic and, you know, we had such, uh, such um, heavy lockdowns and border control and all of that, it was the most, and you know, you say being the most isolated city in the world. Well, it was it was the most isolating experience of my life because not only the hours that I was working, but you know, living um, as a single woman at the time, uh, so living alone and um, being committed to a, a career and having all this deep connection with people through Zoom through the night, literally, but then having very little connection, human connection in real life for a really long time. So. That's what changed the most for me when things uh, opened up again and I started moving around the world again was being able to have humans in my day-to-day once again. Um, so that was pretty special. And then the other thing that happened was I got to meet in real life a lot of the people that I'd been connecting deeply with via Zoom for a number of years. So having that experience of the first time, for example, that I uh, gave Scott Bray Kaufman a hug in LA after two years of working so closely with him. You know, they're moments that you never forget. And it's so interesting what it's like to meet someone that you've only known in this digital sort of virtual world for all this time. And then you meet them in real life. And there's this sense of sort of novelty for about 30 seconds. And then it feels like you guys, it feels like you've been in their company and their presence physically forever. So That was really interesting to uh, experience as well. But what I'm grateful the most for now is uh, the ability to to touch humans, have humans in in my physical day-to-day life in a way that I just didn't. And, you know, it it gave me a lot of empathy for what it's like to be so isolated. I mean, I went through times where I didn't touch another human um, for weeks on end, Uh, but that's the experience of many people writ large for for years you know that that's not just a pandemic experience for some people so to have that experience of what that feels like and that empathy with it is, is really changed me as a human can i ask you a question about scott barrack hoffman so mm-hmm. i'm a follower of his read his books done his course avidly listen, listen to his psychology podcast which for those listeners on max's island if you want to be inspired by the thought process of thought mm-hmm. and the mind and the way humans um, operate and exist, uh, listen to that podcast. So I felt I, I can understand how you feel like you know him because he has many touch points. But yes. seeing him in real life, did he live up to your expectation? <laughs> of course <laughs> he did. <laughs> he exceeded my expectations. It was wonderful. And, you know, he's, he's a larger-than-life character on online, let alone in real life. So we've, we've had a lot of fun together, a lot of adventures. When you got to the US, and, and that was LA, and you had spent some time in LA a few years before living and working there, was the experience mm-hmm. the same or was, was LA different? I'd spent some time in LA doing some training uh, pre-pandemic. I think that was 2018. So coming back this time around, I think I landed uh, in early March. It it felt different because I was different. My career was, was in a different place. You know, pre-pandemic, I was training to become what I do now. And so going back the second time, it was just a different, I had a different relationship with it because I had 
I had grown so much myself. And that, that first visit back was when I got to meet a lot of very special people to me in real life. So it was almost, it was dreamlike. It was just, it was a peak experience. It was just one moment of my mind being blown through deep connection after another. So LA at that first landing felt amazing. It felt um, like that might be the place that I really want to base myself. In particular, I love the Hollywood Hills. So I had a special place that I stay uh, up in, in Hollywood, West Hollywood. So that felt, again, quite dreamlike. There was something really magical about being in LA that, that first time around. I then left to go back to, to do a quick job in Sydney and do the rounds with friends in Cairns where randomly a lot of my things had landed and all my belongings are in Cairns, which is another story in itself. But that's, that's because I got locked out of Perth when I went to Cairns and someone had to pack up my house and send it somewhere. So <laughs> all everything I own at the moment is still in Cairns, which is funny, but went to Cairns, saw my people there, went to Perth. When I landed in Perth, you and I caught up. That was an interesting time because Corona, I think it was Omicron, had really just hit Perth. And so everyone was unwell and I really couldn't see anyone at that point because everyone was in isolation. So that was interesting. And then I head back to LA for the second time. And that second landing in LA, LA was an entirely different experience, um, which began from the moment I landed and I got detained by immigration for hours on end, um, questioned. And, you know, it was just, there was nothing wrong that had happened. It was just because I'd been there a few months earlier. They were curious as to why I was there again and um, actually didn't really understand this notion of remote work. And it was really hard to explain to them that, you know, I do actually live and work around the world. Um, and once they understood that it was, you know, I was let in and it was all good, but it was, there was a friction point there that kind of, yeah, it was, it was interesting just to see, oh, this, this life as a digital nomad, you know, really does have some challenges at time and, and visas and immigration and, you know, negotiating, negotiating that on your own is, you know, uh, a challenging experience. So, the second landing was was not as magical. And I think LA had changed in those few months that I'd been away. I could feel the stress of the city. I could feel the stress of my good friends who, you know, were all trying to make careers work and online programs work. And um, I don't know, there was a lot had happened in LA. There was a lot, a lot of hard, challenging things happening in America. And you know, that felt different. So LA the second time around was, it was a different experience and I could only be there for a shorter period of time. So I was only there for five weeks before I head off, headed off to London. Um, but that was interesting. I just, I could feel something different in the air. And I, I, um, I've reflected on that quite a lot. And I think now I see that, you know, I love LA. I, I love the Hollywood Hills, but I see it as a, a pretty hard city to, to be in at the moment. You went to London? Any particular reason? Yeah, so London's, uh, I've always said my heart is in London and it just felt like, I, you know, I wasn't ready to come back to Australia. I, I wanted to continue living and working, exploring my career in the Northern Hemisphere. So London felt like the, just the natural step. The minute I landed here, it felt amazing and I remembered, I mean, I, I think the last time I was in London was only a few years ago, but it was only for a short time. So re-landing here, it felt like 
for the first time in 12 months, I felt like, oh, this might be a place where I, I land, like I properly land. So that felt great. I was house sitting um, in a beautiful place uh, in East London and uh, just had a, had a wonderful sort of first six weeks here. And then, of course, another challenge where I had some longer term accommodation set up, but it fell through literally at the last minute. I had two days. I was moving into a place for six months and then two days prior, they said, oh, it's not, not ready. It's still, there's still works being done. So they delayed that for, for five weeks. So I had to figure out what to do. And it was the week that the Queen had died. Um, so London was busy and packed and everyone's flying in for the funeral and the, there was no accommodation. And if there was, it was very expensive. So I decided to go to Marrakesh. Um, and the reason for that is, firstly, I've, I've wanted to go to Morocco since I was 16 and the and part of a, a community called Outsight, which is designed for uh, nomads like myself um, and it's, it's co-living, co-working setups um, in different beautiful houses around the world. So this was um, the scenario was in, in, in Hollywood. It was a beautiful Hollywood mansion that was run by this company called Outside. They had just opened a brand new Riyadh in uh, Marrakesh uh, designed for people to come and work and live together. And so I decided just to go and have that experience. So I landed, um, landed in Marrakesh for the, the very first time, my very first experience in, in Africa and spent, I think about six weeks there. And, uh, yeah, that was quite the experience. It, truly magical. So many moments that I could share that are beyond, you know, anything that I'd had ever imagined. Um, lots of challenges, and yeah, it was a, a, a special, a special time for me. I guess being a digital working nomad, like you've said, um, mm -hmm. gave you the flexibility to be able to make decisions on the spot. But going to Marrakesh must have felt like more than just a place to go and live it really mm. must have felt like a, a holiday experience on the one hand and you know there's this this cultural influence must have been very strong what was it like there were you able to embrace the culture on a daily basis you know being there six weeks um, and working at the same time yeah, it, it's funny because I there's something in me that knew that going to Marrakesh was a better idea than trying to find some accommodation in in London last minute. But it took me three goes to get on a plane, so there was some there was some trepidation there because it was such a new experience. And I I literally changed my flight three times until I had sort of the the, the strength to to go and do it. But I did know it was the right thing. So it took me about three days to acclimatise you know, to the, the culture shock. So I was really out of my comfort zone for a few days there. But then that, that shifts, and I've experienced that before in different ways, so I knew that that, that would shift. The Riyadh was just so beautiful. It, it was uh, just, just a stunning, um, just walking into the Riyadh, I could not believe it. So there, there was these moments of awe just from the moment I arrived. I remember being shown around the Riyadh and, um, and then being up on the, there was a beautiful rooftop terrace and they're showing me where the uh, laundry is and bits and pieces. And then I look down and there's this beautiful tortoise, like a tiny little tortoise, which I thought was a statue. I thought it was like a doorstop. 
<laughs> and they go, oh, this is Furkoff, our, um, our, our tortoise. And I was like, cool. And then I saw it move and I was like, oh, my God, is it real? And they're like, yeah, what did you think it was? And I, I, I thought it was a doorstop. But this beautiful, I think, 30-year-old tortoise that was on the top of the terrace every morning I'd go up and have my coffee and a chat to the tortoise he liked to have a little scratch under his chin and he'd be wandering around he'd come to see you and um that was that in itself was special so I kind of in the first few days just spent most of the time acclimatizing in the riad they had a beautiful pool and they had a hum on so I would have a daily you know sauna scrub and what I realized is that this was my opportunity and first opportunity in years and years and years to actually rest um, that there was uh, some recovery that I needed from from years of working hard, personal things happening in my personal life, uh, building a, a career, you know, embarking on a doctorate. Like I was tired, and I, I landed there, and I thought, this is why I'm here. This is an opportunity to rest because there was something in the air that provided spaciousness to rest. What helped with that was the daily rituals that I would have around, you know, the food. So food there for them is, is, is super ritualized and um, they'd feed us amazing Moroccan food every, every day. So there was rituals around that. The call to prayers that happened five times a day um, were the most comforting, beautiful, peaceful things to experience. So you'd wake at around, the first one was at, at sunrise. So it was usually around 5 a.m. ish. And the final one was about 8.30 p.m. So I missed those calls to prayer. That was truly spiritual. And then I would just have these little mini outings. You know, I was working hard. I was trying to finish my thesis whilst I was there as well. So whilst I was resting, I was also productive. And I'd just have these little mini outings during the day somewhere, usually to a rooftop um, for for a tagine, a chicken tagine was my favorite. Um, and I would do that and just have the view and it was very hot. So there was the view and the heat and yeah, it, it was very solo time. You know, I was by myself the whole time. It was a special time for me in that sense. I would have liked to have got out and seen a little bit more, but I think actually I'm going to return um, for New Year's. So I'll return to Marrakesh um, in a few weeks time and spend five days there. And I think we'll be a bit more, I'll be a bit more explorative because I've, I know it better and, uh, you know, it's a second time. Um, but, yeah, it just was, it was a beautiful, peaceful, spiritual experience for me. I've got two questions, one on a professional nature. What was things like the Wi-Fi? What was that like? What was the professional services like? What was, you know, that feeling that you were able to still do your work and, and you said you spent time on your thesis, you know, was was that yeah. level of, professionalism for one of a better description um obvious well that's the wonderful thing about outside so they they make sure that these places are set up so that you can work so wi-fi is um awesome there's spaces co- co-working spaces to work or you can work in your room so all the rooms are set up with desks and lighting and and what have you um there's printers uh set up so it's really designed to make your work experiences as seamless as possible so in the particular Riyadh I was in, all of that was functioning really well. And, and the rest um, of Morocco, oh, the rest of um, yeah. Well, from my experience, Wi-Fi, you know, everywhere you went in terms of cafes or restaurants, you know, Wi-Fi was 
available. And so I would sit in cafes and, and work um, on the Wi-Fi with no issues. So, yeah, it was really accessible on that level. It was There was no issues whatsoever. And the second question is, a single woman in, in that country, how safe did you feel? And you said you didn't go too far. Um, in, from in terms of having excursions and, and travelling within uh, the, the city. But how safe did you feel? Felt, um, I felt completely safe, and that was because the people in the Riyadh, uh, the, the staff were locals, so they were very good at letting you know how to do things, where to do things, and what was safe and what wasn't safe. And mostly everything was, you know, we didn't, it was just a matter of just having my wits about me in the same way that I would in any country or any city traveling alone. You know, traveling alone, you do have to, as a woman, you have to be really careful. And interestingly, the longer you travel alone, the more kind of comfortable you get or complacent maybe you get with your personal safety. So I've had certainly moments in the last 12 months where I've things have been a bit hairy and I've thought, okay, you're getting a little too comfortable here you've got to remember that you're a single five foot tall woman and you just got to have your wits about me so about you so I I didn't there was no difference in in Marrakesh to any other city and you know the locals were very clear you know they 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 said that it is a very safe place obviously you need to be respectful of the culture and you know there there's a there's a lot of attention that you get as a woman walking around and so just being aware of that and aware of um, how to be in that kind of scenario, that that was uh, interesting. I would imagine that Marrakesh, though, there'd be a significant tourist population there from, you know, Western tourist population. Yeah, there was... um, That would make it a little more comfortable. I I definitely felt safe. And it's interesting because when I told people I was going to... Morocco, like a lot of people were con- by myself, a lot of people were concerned. There is that perception that maybe it, it's not, but, you know, particularly if, if people are listening that are interested in going to the outside Riyadh and experiencing this kind of work-life experience there, I can definitely say it's, it's, it's a very safe place to be. So, Claire, as we wind up our current visit to Max's Island, you're back in London and working and continuing your, your work with other internationals and doing your coaching. What's the future? Are you going to be based in London for a while or do you see yourself travelling back to the States at any time soon? I think I'd love to base myself here, but actively uh, travel back to the States regularly for for sort of shorter stints, so a week or two at a time. Um, I think an opportunity I see in the work that I'm doing is finding a bridge or creating some more active collaboration between the research and development being done on flow and flourishing in the States with what is being done here in the UK and Europe. Um, There's two quite different camps and uh, really interesting things happening. And I think an opportunity lost at the moment is is truly getting uh, people talking. So I have a bit of a plan to to get some connectivity uh, across continents. And I think there's some really interesting work to be done here in, in London, uh, which has a slightly different focus to you know, the work in the States has often been anchored to peak performance and realising personal potential, which, of course, is very much something I'm truly driven by and passionate about. 
the work here or the focus here is a little more around social impact and how we can be truly democratizing the science to positively impact on all different walks of life, all different contexts. So that for me is driving me at the moment. Uh, that leads to that the future of flourishing is going to evolve into a social enterprise, not-for-profit um, set up so that we can start really getting some interesting um, investment funding designed to take this to a real grassroots level. So I'm excited by that. It certainly does sound exciting, Claire. I think the the London environment from what you're describing is probably the ideal place for you to develop the your theories, your your understanding and your concepts around flow and 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 the sense of flourishing as an individual and also as organizations. I think there's probably more opportunity for organizations to embrace that in the UK. Yeah, they've got a history of um, probably a, a stronger corporate and and group organization social conscience and perhaps yes. the opportunities are, are, are greater there to to get a toehold and um and really create that impact that you're 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 aiming for so thanks again for being on max's island great story about marrakesh it's just fascinating to think that um you know you can just chuff over mm -hmm. there for five or six weeks and um live the life and look forward to um, seeing how you are going to flourish as an individual over the next few months. So Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you, Tony. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work. Play and how, how it had turned out this way. He told me his plan a short term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone, no one to blame if he finished or fell by the way. Go for it.
His sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and 